Welcome to this podcast series asking the question, can art save us? I'm starting the first national and international conversation about courage and curiosity. What do these qualities really mean and why does it make a big difference to our mental, societal and democratic health? I talk to award-winning and diverse artists across the arts to explore these qualities in their lives and work, both to inspire and for us all to learn. I'm exploring why we need these qualities to help change the global epidemic of mental illness, loneliness, polarisation of our communities and even global conflict. If the arts cultivate courage and curiosity, I'm asking the question, can art save us? And today I have two guests, Billy Meredith, a spoken word artist, writer and performer, and Saf S2E, a performance poet and rapper. And they're active members of Young Identity, Manchester's premier spoken word collective. Billy and Saf have both been selected to work with the BBC, recognised as some of the UK's best emerging talent. Currently, they are involved in the Cities Untold project in Denmark, a partnership between Young Identity, the Manchester Literature Festival and Danish Literature Festivals. Their commissions will be inspired by the secrets and untold narratives of a city. Saf also has an album out now, Ink is Blood, and we can no doubt look forward to more performance work from Billy. Billy was previously cast as a young black woman in the role of an old white man, Walt Whitman. Walt Whitman is known as the father of free verse, and he is one of America's most influential poets. With so much creative and innovative work coming out of Young Identity, we should probably take Saf's advice, a title of one of his poems, Expect the Unexpected. Hello, Billy and Saf, and a very warm welcome. Hello. Hello. Hello, thank you for having us. Thank you. <laughs> it's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for making the time. So, on that note, Saf, I was interested mm. to read, in fact, on your Instagram account, in your bio, you state, mm. I don't acknowledge the term spoken word. And this is a really interesting area um, of debate. Uh, I'm interested in both of your views on this in terms of the labels around page poetry, spoken word, performance poetry, there's, there seems to be a contest. Um, I'm wondering what your point of view is on that and, and what your your preferences are and why you don't acknowledge the term uh, spoken word, Saf. Um, in the simplest way, spoken word implies words that are being spoken and everyone speaks words generally. So... The term spoken word is literally what we're doing now. It's not necessarily poetry. But then in the same breath, I firmly believe that poetry exists in everything. So to to make spoken word sort of a genre, I think um, sort of almost belittles um, the work that these artists are putting into their craft, because I think it's more than just speaking. Yeah. Yeah, and is it a little bit like stating the obvious spoken word yeah basically and um i feel a lot of the spoken word artists are doing more than just stating the obvious they're really bringing something to the table so yeah, yeah. i think it, it feel it feels like it feels like an othering almost yeah that's interesting would you go along with that billy or do you have a different view no i pretty much share that opinion i know there's um debate around uh that kind of terminology and what 
some performance poets prefer to use, but I wholeheartedly agree in the sense that um, the othering of performance work um, somehow just removes it from its core self, which is poetry and that exists just as well on the written page. So I agree that the idea of spoken word is a little bit obtuse um, and it holds just as well um, in terms of poetry as a standard and then performing your poetry as a performance poet. And um, furthermore, poetry sort of began as an oral tradition before it was written. So to then make performance poetry sort of a something that isn't part of the tradition of poetry feels almost like dismissing a whole history of the art form that we're in. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's not exactly just being invented. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is that a tad like colonial history lessons at school? Um, somewhat, I'd say. There, there is a sort of like, there's a mirroring between the two because um, the, the, a lot of these countries that were colonised have rich oral traditions of poetry. I can say personally, the countries that I'm from, Kenya and Sudan, both hold poetry at a high standard and performing of those poetry goes along with the writing of the po- of poetry in those traditions. So maybe there is something that goes hand in hand with that. Yeah, a kind of re-representation of, of, of what poetry is and, and its own history. Billy, I know that you've mentioned, um, you know, your involvement in teaching and, and going into schools. What are you witnessing in terms of poetry or all the arts, in terms of how that's being encouraged or cultivated even? I find that when we do go into schools, often young people are still very engaged with wanting to write. Um, I think now compared to even five or six years ago, um, they have a lot less groundwork in terms of what's expected of them. I remember quite a few years ago, you would go in and they would be quite keen, whereas now you're kind of having to start from base and explain um, the extensiveness of poetry as in it's not just traditional and it's not what you're learning in your anthologies. Um, and additionally to that, I think now more than now more than ever, a lot of young people just want to express themselves. Um, more times when we go in, we find that they have a lot to say and it's just how they get it down. And I think their context of poetry that they're receiving through the curriculum isn't allowing space for themselves and understanding that it's something that they can partake in. It doesn't adhere to these really strict strict and archaic rules that they're being taught. So I find that as much as young people want to engage with poetry, they still don't really have that connection of the modernised form of it and how they can insert themselves into that and into those narratives that they want to write. Yeah, so this sounds really too narrow um, and, and therefore a deprivation, a significant deprivation. How would you both um, describe your entry points into poetry, whether it was through formal education or, or self-discovery? Okay. Um, so for me, I found myself in poetry through happen chance, but I started in theatre so I have a theatre background um and I was used to live performance and and things like that 
whether it's immersive theatre or traditional theatre. And then from that, I started writing only ever in prose, didn't really think about the nature of the poetics. And then it was from that that I discovered that poetry was kind of this separate avenue, um, separate and linked in a way um, to theatre. And then I um, developed them both together. So a lot of the time I used writer and poet because a lot of the time, a lot of my early work was simply prose or character work or kind of monologuing. And then very quickly I realised that I could insert parts of myself into that and it became more and more personal. And then ultimately I was writing poetry, um, which is a really lovely discovery for me. Was any person or anything you read particularly influential in that or, or or in terms of you how you discovered your commitment to it really I think ironically enough some of my favorite writers are comedians um and growing up I would always have VHSs of comedy shows so one of my favorite comedians is Eddie Izzard and I would watch his specials over and over and over again as a young person. I found that the act of performing on stage and the act of monologuing and writing something and performing it back, I always felt like comedians and performers and actors had a brilliant way of analysing the world um, that you couldn't really do in layman's terms. It could only be done on stage when you have an audience. And I found that through poetry, it had that message of being able to, I want to be able to comment on the world. I want to, be able to slow down time and um, take otherwise passing things and really look at them under a magnifying glass. And I found that having, um, looking up to performers who weren't just poets, but just performed ideas and got across um, notions about the world to a group of people was really helpful for me to kind of come in with a broad perspective. And then I can chisel that down to whatever the medium needs so I found that a lot of the people I look up to are musicians and comedians and um, writers more than specifically poets. Yeah kind of social commentators in a way and, and Saf what was your entry point you mentioned uh, Sudan and Kenya so I'm interested in whether were you lucky enough to have a richer tradition um, you know that already was opening doors for you? Um, yeah, but at the time, I didn't know it, that was what was there. Um, as in, my family has always been um, encouraging of reading poetry and uh, writing poetry um, in the house. So at home, as a young, when I was young, my mum would get me, would give me sort of poems and tell me to perform them, um, just to like sort of teach me how to talk in front of people and. Um, they pushed me towards doing uh, public speaking competitions and um, just reading as much as I can. Where, But also I fell into poetry a lot through hip hop and a lot of the rappers that I look up to um, pay, pay always paid a lot of attention to how the words were structured and the poetic devices they put into the verses. So it was something that I subconsciously analysed and then just tried to emulate through time and um, sort of through school reading other po the poets who were reading in school and something in me would tell me, oh, you could, you could possibly write better than these people. So I would sort of try and marry the hip hop world with the more academic 
um, idea of poetry and sort of try and write something that fits in both worlds. And then, yeah. 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 And then over and- time, so, yeah, on myself performing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, sorry to interrupt. No, because I was going to say, and from there, was there increasingly a progression into that involving music? Obviously, you have your, your album out now. Um, so did it go from perhaps you working in a solo capacity to increasingly wanting to work with maybe other collaborators in order to bring music in? Yeah, um, I found out quite quickly that um, making music using instruments and making instrumentals was not the same as putting words onto paper. So I realized I would need to um, work with other people. And fortunately, one of my best friends um, named Artie, um, we were in school together and we sort of started this journey at the same time without knowing. He was making beats in his room without telling anyone. I was writing raps in my room without telling anyone. And then one day, we found out and realized, oh, we could we could do this together, and through that, collaborated with more people and ended up making this up. So I know you have an emphasis on on your work. Um, I'm sure it's shared by both of you as um, a dedication to your craft, and and I understand that's really what the visual artwork is saying for, on the album in Kids Blood. Um, you're really talking about what it means to to bleed into the work, your heart and soul in, in that craft. I wondered if you could both talk about your craft and it'd be interesting to hear how it may differ to each other. I mean, for me, uh, especially with the, the album, the title came from the idea of pledging loyalty to the craft and sort of the album is me talking to the craft and saying that I'm not going to let up from, I'm not going to let up with the process and I'll put up with all the challenges that come with it. Because um, with a lot of the artists that I look up to, a lot of them have gone through a sort of adversity and self-realizations through what they've put into the craft. And I feel if, if I'm going to try and follow their footsteps I must be willing to put the same in as well. So it's all about really just hard work. I think from my from my perspective, it's about hard work and and sticking to the promises you made yourself. So, what was the promise you made to yourself? Um, to be the best writer alive. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Good. And yeah. I'm honoured. I'm honoured to be talking to, to the best writer alive. I don't know if I'm there yet, but it's yeah. Well, that's that's the ultimate goal. Absolutely. And and, and Billy, uh, how would you describe your craft? Um, for me personally, I feel like it's weird hearing Saf talk about it because I was thinking of my answers they were speaking, and I think. More than anything, as my practice grows and grows, I think I find that my poetry isn't for me. And I mean that in the sense of by the time I've written the piece I've written, I've the feelings that I'm writing from or the place that I may be writing from has been felt and dealt and processed. And that is very much the conclusion of whatever situation I was in or whatever feelings I felt that I put into this voice in my work. And I wholeheartedly believe that my craft at its core is to 
help people understand the therapeutic nature of self-expression which is why I'm so passionate when it comes to the teaching element of um, my role because I feel like at its core poetry has the ability to give people words for things that they don't every day it gives people the ability to look at things outside of themselves and for me personally whenever I'm writing I always hope that this piece finds the person it's who was supposed to find it so it's less about uh myself it's less about kind of where I want to be seen I always want to be incredibly good at what I do but by the time I'm writing my pieces it really is for the wider world and for my audiences and I hope that someone can read it and feel heard or feel listened to and understand that this is accessible and they can do exactly what I'm doing um if they so choose and understand that it's important that they're able to express themselves in a way that feels authentic and honest and unapologetic more than anything yeah and would you say your theatre background um feeds into that too you know that that idea of working directly with an audience you know that that does that really help foreground to you the importance of 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 your audience yeah massively I feel like so much of performance is for them the reason that you're on this stage, the reason that you're delivering what you are, whether it's for 20 minutes, 40 minutes, or two and a half hours, it's for them. Um, they've come for an experience. And I know that myself, even when I was young, I grew up in a family of creatives. Uh, my parents uh, have worked as actors um, all of their lives. So I'm very fortunate in that sense. So seeing theatre as a young person, I remember seeing shows and thinking, I'm going to be different after this. I remember being a teenager and thinking, I was a different person before I saw this and after I saw this and I can only endeavor to give my audience that feeling um even if it's a small amount even if it's one person even if it's two people in the audience I think it's really important to understand that the sacredness of a group of people coming to watch you your work and watch your craft live and I think it's really important that that transaction is whole and that you give back and I hope to do that in the content of my work and not just the performance element. Yeah, yeah. just to add on, I think um, one thing that's really st- come to my attention in the last few years is that as as an artist, there is a responsibility I have to the audience. And that starts from when I put the pen to paper. There is, I am providing a service at the end of the day, whether it's entertaining them or giving them something to think about and how I do that is is a responsibility that I have to carry. And it goes, it sort of goes back to the idea of um, pledging loyalty to the craft and realising that I do have a responsibility and a, something that I have to do with this craft. Yeah, that's really interesting because how does that feel, um for both of you in terms of holding a responsibility for your your listener uh your reader or your listener because you know neither of you shy away from difficult topics of course you know you've both written about poverty and climate change um struggles around identity gruesome brutal colonial histories you know neither of you are shying away from difficult 
subjects, which of course is really important. So how do you how do you consider that in terms of responsibility? For for me, I think it's quite simple as in the difficulties of life don't shy away from us. So um, we can't then shy away from those responsibilities. I can't say, oh, I I can't write about this certain topic that I see happening just because it's difficult because whether it's me or other people going through it, they're not finding it easy either. So the difficulty, I think, becomes redundant in that point. Again, it's a responsibility, just like just like we have a responsibility to keep ourselves alive. It's it's not an easy task every day. So you can't expect writing about it to be easy. Mm, I definitely agree with, off the back of Saf's point about that sense of responsibility, I think that the fact that we're given a platform to speak about topics that are so serious have to be cannot be taken lightly. And I think it's your job, like Saf said, to induce thought or induce thought change. And I think part of that responsibility is allowing an idea to sit in a room and endeavour to not be too self-indulgent as to uh, cover it in your opinion or your misgivings or your own biases and um, hold up a point, keep elements of yourself in it, but also give enough for an audience to breadcrumb and come to their own conclusions. And I think when you do talk about economic issues, if it is poverty, if it is colonial history and things like that, it's understanding that that has a responsibility and that comes with things like misinformation and prejudice and biases that already exist. And it's important to make sure that those topics are done in a specific way that doesn't cause further confusion or or um, put people backwards in a sense. So... Yeah, I think it's important to tackle those things. And as I've said, that starts from when you put pen to page to kind of make sure that you're hitting those points that you, you feel like you need to as a as a poet. Yeah, so if either of you had to choose your number one responsibility, is that really the realm of honesty and authenticity? Authenticity. Um, and I mean, and authenticity is completely unique so when I say I mean personally to myself as in I think growing into it and having it be your job and working with the idea of commissions I think the biggest thing that I've learned is being authentic to myself um, and making sure that the work that I'm making is coming from myself and it still has me in it um, because it would be disingenuous to write or perform or produce something that I feel like didn't align with myself or the things that I believed in and I feel like as long as you're giving your most authentic self as humbly as you can um then I I feel like it's a job well done yeah um yeah I think authenticity and honesty come first because when you're creating something there is the the most basic foundations of that creation you have is yourself so you have to inject that in there for that to be a true creation that came from you. And without being honest and authentic to to yourself, like Billy said, it's because other people can never fully know how much, how authentic you are to your work. Only you truly know that. 
And um, once you're, if you're authentic to yourself, then you can trust your own art, I think. Yeah. Yes. And also, um, certainly having um, read some of your work, I really like how you pose um, important questions, but without um, preaching in any way. So if I, when I was looking at um, examples around how you'd respond, both of you had responded to poverty, for example, um, a line I noted from Billy was poverty cares less for its choice of partners and also made the point of saying it's curable yet impossible to solve, which I thought really elevates an important question. And Saf, um, a line I took from your work was distance yourself from the monetary cycle of false hope, because today the only true constant is unsighted wilderness. And I'm just highlighting those um examples of lines um because it really felt uh you were both posing really significant um points to question you know how come poverty can be solved but it isn't being solved what do you mean by the monetary the false monetary cycle which i think describes the the, the money trap perfectly um i wondered whether you'd like to both using those examples of how you've responded to poverty, how you'd like to talk about how you wanted to convey such serious issues to your audiences. For me, I remember writing that poem and it was a very personal one. I think the topic was um, quite close to home. I'd been at various stages of poverty above and below the breadline growing up um, in a single parent household. And I remember writing it feeling like even though I was given the platform to speak on it, I myself cannot solve it. I have suffered through it. I have overcome it. Um, If that is really overcoming to be able to have a roof over your head, if not the bare minimum. Um, And I think those kind of lines about how um incurable yet impossible to solve I think for me I just wanted people to feel seen and people to feel like it's not in their head that there is something wrong that the idea of poverty is chronic and it is separate from themselves and their failures or their perceived failures and that it is something that happens to them um because it's such an enormous problem and I think the whole idea that your situation is caused by yourself or the situations that you find yourself in is somehow as a result of your lacking or something that you haven't been able to do. And I think for me in that poem, it was really important for me to help that audience or for the people that it was for to understand that this is separate of yourself and it is not a reflection of you or any perceived lack of hard work that it is systemic and that um, you are a victim of something chronic and to kind of take a breather from that internalization of um, that it's my fault that I'm in these circumstances when it's absolutely not the case. Yeah and and is the process of of writing that also 
a way of you understanding or arriving at your own understanding of your circumstances and what your point of view is? Yeah, I think massively. I think it was interesting because, especially as a young person in poverty, I think you have so many questions and you don't really understand how the world works and you compare your own life or your own quality of life to those around you and you feel like, it's your shortcoming or you feel like it's something that you've done and I think it was comforting to me to write that because I think it's something that I would have wanted to hear I think it's something that people I know my family would have wanted to hear um during those times and I think with poverty comes a lot of anger and comes a lot of feelings of injustice that are completely valid and I think in writing that piece it was kind of this rant piece which kind of asked all the questions that you ask yourself when you're sat at your kitchen table not knowing where your next meal will come from for yourself and your kids kind of thing so I think the anger and the the question and the question asking nature of that um, poem was me working through those feelings as well definitely yeah and so Saf um similarly um you know that the example um that I shared in terms of uh your work, it's from Expect the Unexpected, where you say distance yourself from the monetary cycle of false hope. Was that also in some ways working through um injustice, social injustice, feelings of anger? Um how d- how did you find the process was equally helpful to you personally as well as arriving at your creative expression um I think the process of writing it was more so an expression of um an express and the the poem was supposed to sort of give advice on the future and how the future might look like and I think the point I was getting with with that line is that um the the hustle men- mentality that a lot of people have grown up with have fallen into um and sort of this idea of money will solve all my world all my problems can be sort of detrimental because the only the only thing that we really do know is that we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow and i think growing up in sort of a poorer background teaches you that you can't guarantee everything and that's, I think, a, a mentality that I think everyone should sort of hold and sort of know that you've, you've got to make sure you're okay, but know that every, things can change at whatever moment. And therefore, your monetary status or your class status isn't actually something that's important per se, because behind all of that, tomorrow still isn't expected, despite of where you are in that hierarchy yeah yeah it's not that money can control tomorrow Uh how would you both respond to the idea of the real revolution if you like for deep meaningful positive change for equality for social justice all those big things starts with the mind and maybe that means starting with the word um, I'd, I'd agree because 
the 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 person or the thing we have most control over is ourselves. So if you if you can strengthen the mind and sort of gain certain knowledge of yourself and things around you, you can start to make a better world, per se. And if the people around you take the same initiative, eventually there's sort of a, a ripple effect. At least that's what I believe there will be, a sort of ripple effect. And that might be our only saving grace into making anything close to utopia. I think I'd um, agree in a mix of that. I think when it comes to the word and kind of being presented with these kind of questions, I do think it's helpful on the individual scale to think about things differently and challenge the ideas that you have. I think it's important to always be trying to grow and nurture yourself and those around you. I think that people are inherently good. Um, and sometimes I think a, a prompt will will bring out the best in terms of growing from that point. Um, and then the bigger picture in terms of social injustice and um, poverty and those kind of things, I also think, again, that's systemic and that's political and that's governmental. And I feel like I don't think a good attitude can change those things, but I do think within those systems it's important to remember each other's humanity and figure out ways of nurturing each other so that we can stay hopeful and stay resilient and uh, engaged while these things are happening and while we try and make a change I do think that we can do that for each other and I do think word is a big part of that that humanity yeah, and do you think that part of that resilience um, demands some bravery, being being brave enough or having the courage to speak out, whether it's whether it's through poetry or, or or other forms of arts? Is it about finding the courage? Massively, I think only the bravest people are the ones who change the world. Is uh-huh. there's a difference between? Um, them and us I truly do feel is only that level of courage that level of self selflessness they are the ones who were able to make those decisions to change the world and it is almost exclusively not only compassion and empathy but courage massively and not everyone is for lack of a better phrase built like that not everyone has that in them and I think I think it is definitely courage um that is the catalyst for so many changes yeah, I would wholeheartedly agree. And I think it's our responsibility as artists, even if we don't necessarily have that courage, is to try and inspire it somehow and to try and speak it out there. Where does your own courage come from in order to do that? I, I, don't, I don't know how courageous I am. But um, I can only give credit to any kind of bravery I have to my parents. Like, yeah, those those are the bravest people I've ever met in my life. Mm-hmm. So any shred of bravery I have comes from my mom and, mom and dad, yeah. And, and is there example of bravery about, you know, having the right to have a voice? Is, is that what you've been able to relate to? Uh, that's a good question. 
Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know what what I've totally tapped into. Um, I mean, there is there's a lot of work I have to do on myself to figure out um, what I really do. What where what really inspires me? There's um, and where sort of I can draw strength from. Those are things I still need to figure out for myself. I think, yeah. Mm. And Billy, how would you explain your personal courage? And and bearing in mind that we don't have to presume courage means, you know, great acts of heroism. You know, courage is very relative, isn't it? It's about, mm. you know, being prepared to face your fears, your vulnerabilities, to stand up any anyway. I'm I'm just wondering how you think you're brave enough, if you like, to pursue your craft? I think for me, um, my courage comes from being unsure for so many years of my life. Um, I have an incredibly anxious disposition, ironically, uh, for the work that I do. And I spent so many years unsure of myself and what I believe um I've lived in lots of different countries with different demographics and dynamics and and politics and where I fit into that and I think I was confused for a long time and then I think there's nothing more freeing than finding yourself and your voice and then as a result of that what you believe in and what you stand up for um I'm very passionate about injustice I'm very passionate about unfairness and I think my courage comes from feeling that it is it will always be a greater cause than myself to bring light to those things and I think as you grow up and as you get older you kind of accumulate lots of little hills that you're willing to die on and I think it's been quite um freeing to collect my hills in that sense and kind of think okay this is what I feel very strongly about this is what I'm still nuanced about these are my grays these are my black and whites and I think my courage comes from understanding myself and who and what I'm willing to defend with complete vitriol and I think that's been been really helpful for my work and the very strict stances that I do want to make in my writing and being able to stand by that on and off stage. Yeah, it does seem courage is very much about a commitment to belief and principle, even if you're scared, in fact, mm. there's, an, there's an irony in there. So um, as performers, I mean, I'd be interested if if you both have memories of maybe your first performances or your maybe your first most significant performances, because I personally would be terrified. I wouldn't be able to get on a stage and, and do what you do. I mean, that, there's an act of courage right there. So I'm just wondering what those first experiences were like. Were they do or die moments? <laughs> Saf, you're, you're smiling. So I think something <laughs> might have amused you when, <laughs> sure. um, in your memory. <laughs> oh, it's just... Uh, I'm trying to think of a of a time where I, I wasn't completely terrified before performing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think um, 
yeah, it's it's from the I think probably the the times where I wasn't totally scared was when I was like three or four years old doing something in front of my parents, just be like, because um, when I was that age, I used to take any opportunity possible to perform nursery rhymes in front of people and any little family occasion, I'd be like, mom, let me, let me perform or whatever. Um, but then somewhere in sort of my teenage years, um, there was a pressure that came along with it. And I think um, it, it's just, I sort of understood a little bit more what it meant to stand in front of people. And again, the responsibility you have when you stand in front of people and speak. And I think, yeah, I don't, I don't see that ever not being terrifying. Yeah. yeah. I'm just trying to think of my own. I think similarly to Saf, I was definitely like happy to do cartwheels and shows in the front room up until a certain point. <laughs> um, and then get all my friends involved. Like I was that kid and stuff was all really. Um, and I'm trying to think in terms of poetry. I remember in theatre, I always felt really comfortable. I always think I got normal nerves. Um, but I remember when I started performing poetry, it felt very different and very very scary and I think I remember one of my first performances must have been 16 or 17 and just a journey of identity only for like a couple of years or so and I'd managed to avoid performing for for a couple of years and it was an outdoor stage in within Shore Park on like a culture day or a family day and I just looked out and it was an entire field of people just like sporadic um and just me in a microphone, it was the most terrifying thing I'd have, I had done up until that point. And I think it's weird because when you take acting, it you have the barrier of like character and there's the formality of theatre and all that stuff. But the second it was poetry and it's something that I had written, all of a sudden I was most vulnerable, most shaky, most, oh my God, this is myself. Um, and it was so, so different. And I remember, I just, must have just blacked out. And I just remember the claps at the end because it was truly just completely different than anything else I was um, I was used to. But then I remember the feeling of pride afterward, I think, is what kept bringing me back. Um, yeah. It's kind of like addictive in a way. It's very bittersweet, but that feeling and the kind of before, middle and after of a show, it's the adrenaline is, you hate it, but you can't get enough of it. Yeah, I'd like to second that because... Um... I poetry. There's something different about performing poetry, as I used to. I used to be in like debate clubs and and public speaking competitions, and that was always. It was always sort of easier because it was a piece of text that I didn't write. It had no person. I had no personal attachments to any of it. But then, performing my own poetry, where my opinions and my vulnerabilities are the source and the subject it is it becomes even it is there's a sort of it's more tense and there's there's a lot of if it really does feel like eyes are on you mm. and that's that can be a lot to deal with mm. I, I remember my first time performing poetry was um I must I think I was like 19 um, it was in front of In Contact Theatre for Words First. And I, I just remember seeing 
my book shake in my hand. And that's pretty much the memory I have of the performance. It's just my shaking book in my hand. But after, after that, I, I sort of knew I was going to perform for a long time. <laughs> but it's, it's ironic that you you say that. It's reminded me of um, just last year, a few of us travelled down to the National um, to perform at the Riverside stage um, as a part of Holmes' kind of weekend programming. Um, and it was such a big deal and it was brilliant and I was comfortable and around people that I'd performed for for ages and on that day literally how many months ago now my hand with the mic all I remember was the shaking and I thought I've been doing this for years at this point um, yeah. and that's what I mean about that adrenaline cycle never really changes and it's complete yeah. chance yeah. On my, my left leg on still shakes in every performance <laughs> <laughs> It's really interesting because it's a very necessary fear. And whilst it feels horrendous at the time, it's obviously very healthy, isn't it? There's a there's a very specific purpose to it. And, you know, you are brave because whilst you're opening up conversations or dialogue, there's always room for attack, so to speak, isn't there? Critics. Critics have got the comfy seats, of course. It's easy to be a critic, isn't it, than, than be um, on the stage. So it is a brave act. And, and, and Billy, um, isn't it interesting how often uh, performers will always say they are shy, they are introvert? Uh, like you said, they may suffer from anxiety. Um, and yet you have this, this theatre background and... I mentioned in the introduction uh, your casting as Walt Whitman um, and just to let the listeners know, that was in the play Adhesion of Love, which was written by the multi-award winning playwright Stephen Hornby. Um, I wondered if you'd like to tell us about that because, of course, the casting was really interesting, although the commentary uh, was absolutely about how brilliant you were in the role. But how did you approach um the role and how influential was it in your own work um it was so interesting um such an interesting time period I remember when Stephen came to me with the idea um and I had him sit me down and I was like okay explain it to me um and he'd written this beautiful play which um was about uh based on a true story which is the relationship of Walt Whitman and this young man who idolized him and eventually um saves enough to visit him in his later years and his from what I know Stephen's vision for casting a young black woman as Walt was more than anything to kind of subvert the idea of Walt Whitman as a icon as, as the person that they are and kind of play with the idea that they are larger than their earthly body and that the work that they created and their aura and all that they stand for was outside of the fact that um of who he was on earth should I say and it was kind of more of his aura and I remember when we were developing that character uh it was really important to him that I still had the air and the honors and that just I don't know how to describe it because I feel like Walt Whitman was all-knowing, I think is a good way to describe it, just an omnipotent force who understood why the wind blew through the leaves the way they did and why lavenders grew on Tuesdays. Um, just a really brilliant energy, and I feel like 
that was his goal for it, specifically because the play touched on kind of the queering relationship between these two characters. And though never inherently sexual or explicit in any way, it did kind of have commentary on uh, Walt Whitman as an uh, early gay writer that um, some critics decided as such. Um, and what that relationship was to other young men who were also questioning in that sense. So it was really fun to play. Um, I really enjoyed taking on Walt's persona and using their work to create that persona. Once you take their work out of their body, what does that look like? What do they sound like? How do they move through the world? And I think his his casting choice is really successful in that way because people worried less about um the fact that it was a play about an old man and a young man the fact that it was a play with queer undertones the fact that it was a play about Walt Whitman and focused more on the integrity of that relationship and the relationship that the character had to Walt's work which is what it was about it was about someone who just held him up to such a standard and I think it was easier for the audience to separate Walt's work from himself when the actor playing him looks nothing like Walt Whitman. Yeah, it seems that such unexpected casting probably worked brilliantly well as a metaphor, um, universal humanity, or, or a, in a way a kind of equaliser in a way because it was so unexpected. Would that, would that make sense? Yeah, I think it, exactly that. I think the metaphor of that relationship and again it was the idea that this main character this young man had had fallen in love with or had that relationship with the writer's work with what they stood for with how they sounded with how they saw the world and almost not at all the man himself um and once you understand that then the body or the person playing them can be anyone because it was about the relationship between their work separate of themselves and that really got to shine through when you didn't have the distraction of a person. It was more about what they brought in their energy and, and what they stood for. So the metaphor was was really strong in that sense. Yeah, and, and Walt Whitman was, um, you know, he was respected as a, as a humanist. Um, he was also respected for his own, his own courage. You know, he wasn't bound by convention. Um, mm. And of course, he's um, attributed with uh, developing uh, free verse, and you know, taking someone that important um, in terms of uh, their influence. Um, would, would either of you really relate, if you like, to that idea of not being bound by convention? Convention, so that in your own work. Do you embrace experimentation? Are you brave enough to break with form, for example? Um, I'll speak for myself, but mine's only sure. I would say that I think because I don't have an academic entrance into poetry um, and it was more creative, I think I didn't start with those boundaries. So I remember when first writing, like I said, began in prose, and I think... I've managed to stray away from that because I've always been open to any sort of form. And again, that's stemming a lot from um, kind of a theatre background. So I think it's been easier for me not to constrain myself because it was never there in the first place. If anything, a lot of my practice is looking at 
more traditional forms and if that's still relevant to the work that I'm, I'm writing at the moment. Yeah, um, for me, I'd say coming, coming from a world of hip-hop, um, every time I write something, I want it to be new and I want it to be unique and therefore um, sticking to a form that's already been there isn't isn't sort of challenging enough to what I want to achieve as a writer. So if anything, it's sort of trying to create a new form every time I wrestle with the idea of um, creating work. Yeah. And so this actually brings me to um, your collaboration um, with the Denmark project. Uh, cities untold because I wondered you know what kind of creative challenges uh you know that that might might be raising um perhaps you for the listener's point of view you could explain what the cities untold project is whereabouts you are in that in that commission um and, and what what we might be able to hear from it this year in 2023 yeah um I can try and give a bit of context to the project um it's a joint project with manchester literature festival and young identity and then also with some danish literature festivals um in two cities Aarhus and Orbo. um and they've commissioned myself Saf, and four other danish writers to be a part of this project and the goal was that we um, travel there and explore the, those two cities in Denmark and they come here and explore Manchester and kind of produce work from that and kind of have it be a really organic process and, and see what comes from, from those exchanges. Yeah, and so I understand that part of that process is various tours around the cities and I read that um, one of your visits in Denmark um, included a tour about the poet Morton Nielsen. Is that is that right? You, you were both on that tour. Um, and that was really interesting because, um, sadly, he died very young, didn't he? At 22, he was active in the resistance against the German occupation uh, mm. in World War II. But um, he's also, nevertheless, become a symbol for freedom um, in Denmark. Um, I was interested in maybe what impact even that tour alone had on both of you in terms of symbolism, identity. Um, uh, and also, Saf, I know that um, Morton Nielsen wrote a poem about destiny, and destiny is something you talk about in your work. Yeah, um, specific. Actually, it's fun you do mention the idea of destiny because um, that tour and sort of understanding that he he seemed to have felt that he had a purpose and he had to write. And then within that short lifespan that he had, it seems like it seems like it really was his destiny to put those words together, like something compelled him beyond himself to put those words together. And that's kind of how I feel about my work. I feel like there might be something external to me pushing me towards um, towards putting words to paper. And I think 
um, that was something that really caught me about Morton. And um, it it's really stuck with me since then and sort of almost reinvigorated. Is that the right word I'm looking for? Yeah. Um, yeah, I reinvigorated my love for poetry in a, in a sort of new way. Um, I mean, that whole trip um, made me look at my the way I approach poetry altogether completely differently and made me reconsider my motivations um, because um, the styles were so different and cultures were so different, not only between um, the UK and Denmark, but also the two cities and made me also realise how sort of unique Manchester is within the UK and um, and how maybe my writing is unique to other things and just made me really reconsider my reasons for for being a poet. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, it, it does sound hugely impactful. And would you say, Saf, that you discovered or just reaffirmed, did you discover new reasons or did you reaffirm your reasons for wanting to be a poet? Um, I reaffirmed for sure, but then new reasons were added on of which I can't still, I've still not been able to define, but there is something, there is something I gained from that trip and it it's pushed me to try and understand more of sort of everything really. Yeah. And it also sounded like almost on a spiritual level, perhaps when you were saying there's an external thing that's pushing me, would, would it be in that realm? hundred um, percent. I, I almost see, um, it's, I almost see art and poetry and hip hop as a vocation and something almost almost like a priesthood you're being called by something to to try and do something greater than yourself and i feel i feel that me I'm, I'm possibly in that cloth and billy how did the impact of this trip um perhaps change your your reasons for being a poet or, or just your experience in general how how it's fueled what you do um i think Similarly to Saf, I think it was really eye-opening. For me, I feel like having the space to go and just meet other writers and be in that space and discuss the craft and your practice, it really stripped away all the satellites of poetry for me and kind of a lot of the things that get caught up in creating when it does come to making it a job and um, having the looming of like, am I good enough? And everyone, regardless of the work that they do, gets caught up in that rat race. Um, and I think that having the space to go there and like Saf said, the, the difference in cultures, I think really reminded me as to why I started doing this. It really gave me a sense of purity and understanding that understanding the core reasons as to why why we, we write poetry and what our intentions are and I feel like it was very refreshing because I 
for me anyway, really fell in love with it all over again. I had been through quite a blockage being here and then going there. It was a, it was, I was able to zoom out and really look at my practice and what I'm doing and um, in terms of my best foot forward to make sure that when I got back, I was creating work that was meaningful and had all those core things that when I started writing, um, I somehow lost or was, was never as prominent along the way. So for me, it was incredibly affirming in that sense. And I think a lot of that was to do with the brilliance of the other writers who were there yeah. and also culturally how they approach their writing and they have such a uh, reverence for the craft itself and it was just really beautiful to witness and yeah. for me to come back with even a fraction of, of that I was really grateful for yeah they I really learned a lot from those writers yeah an incredible incredible group of group of writers definitely yeah. It's on. It's up to them. <laughs> they they yeah. And what what would you say? Um, maybe was really core cool to what you learned from them because there's such a fantastic appreciation, isn't there? When you're working in a group and you may have all completely different approaches or distinct styles, um, you know, it's not remotely competitive. It's it's purely about exchange and in, and enrichment. So. What do you think they may have learned from you as well as what you took from them? I can't think. And I mean it in the sweetest way. I'm just so in awe of them. I can't possibly think what they could have taken. Yeah. From, um, or, or too, too bashful to share yeah. any comments Honestly, that they may have made. Um, <laughs> I think it was nice oh. for them to come to Manchester and see our city. I think it, because we went to um, Denmark first. And we obviously had all this wonderful context of them and as writers and where they grew up and, and why they write about what they do write about. And I think when they came to Manchester, it was really lovely because they got to see contextually us and they even got to see us perform because they came during Manchester Literature Festival. And I remember them being really excitable and really happy for us. Um, and just really soaking it up in the culture, I think, the idea that there's such a huge scene for poetry and just poetry and that's poetry without a music act poetry without a conference attached poetry without the meat and bones poetry is the meat and bones and I think that to them was really exciting to see and I remember them being um really enthused by that and and that was really lovely to see from them Mm. And do you think part of your, you've both spoken about an affirmation, you know, by by being in this exchange uh, and going to Denmark. Do you think part of it is by being away, you almost possessed or saw your own identities and in terms of Manchester more clearly? I mean, Manchester is a, is a famous city. It's an important city, isn't it, in terms of both cultural and and industrial mm. uh, revolutions in history. Um, mm. You know, so many famous artists alone have pulled out of Manchester. Um, how big a part is Manchester in both of your own identities? Manchester is is very integral for me. Um, I mean, it's 
it's it's somewhere I moved to at a very young age. And for a long time, I was in denial that I was now living in Manchester and then found in like my most difficult formative years, I found a really, I found almost a welcoming that I don't think I could ever find anywhere else. I mean, Manchester, I really feel like Manchester took me in at my most miserable moments and really helped nurture the person I am and I'm becoming more and more. So it's um, Manchester is really, is basically a part of who I am. I feel like I carry, I carry a bit of the city everywhere I go. And um, yeah, I don't, I really, yeah, it's just, it's something, it's, it's, it's more of, it's become an entity to me and it's become just a foundation for me. Yeah. Yeah. And Billy, are you are you born and bred in Manchester? I am. I always say born, not quite bred. Um, <laughs> I was born in Manchester and then I moved to the Caribbean and I lived there um, for until I was about a young teenager. And then when I came back, came straight back to Manchester because it was in fact home. Um, and I definitely feel the same way in the sense of in terms of England I've known nothing else but Manchester it's been there for me from birth I was born in North Manchester Hospital to now I still find myself here and even when I went to study I studied in Leeds because it was the closest thing to Manchester I could find in the sense of its energy and its nurturing and things like that and I thought well I want to go away just to say that I've gone away but I want to replicate exactly what I have back at home um and I think that says a lot. And even when other creators, especially in the creative industry, everyone is, oh, when are you moving to London? And I always found myself staring incredulously back and saying, never. That's, that's never been an option. And I think that says a lot in terms of what the comfort that this city brings me. It's perfect for me and, and what I want to do in the arts and the groups of people that it has and the tribe that it has, I genuinely can't imagine myself being anywhere else. So mm. yeah, mm. it was definitely home. Mm. And of course, uh, you know, London isn't um, solely responsible for the arts of the UK, is it? It's a very London centric um, emphasis. Unfortunately, I've spoken to other artists, you know, mm. who equally have said, well, why do I need to move to London? I'm 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 an artist here, uh, wherever they are. You know, I don't need mm. to move to London to be an artist. Um, and Manchester does have such a, a strong identity, um, uh, you know, culturally. But it's also famous, isn't it, in terms of the roots of the Industrial Revolution? It has an industrial identity. But Saf, you've spoken very interestingly um, about the Industrial Revolution. Um, and you were referring to the scramble for Africa, the partition of Africa, in other words. And you made really important points um, about that. Perhaps to give the listeners some context, you can just share, uh, you know, what your emphasis is there. Because, of course, there is a gruesome colonial history behind the partition of Africa, but your point was it's also the roots of the Industrial Revolution. 
Yeah, I mean, you could just see as where all the cotton was coming from, and um, all the all these uh, things were coming from countries that were coming from colonized places and from colonized people, and it's um, it's it's sort of what built the grittiness of Manchester is rooted in that. And then it's also the similarities you see from the working working class people of Manchester in those times and the sort of um, difficulties they were going through and the marginalisation that they felt and how that sort of built this great image of Britain. And you see that at, at the root of it all is a bunch of suffering of vulnerable people, um, regardless of where they're from, because it's sort of their own people and other people from different places. And you, and um, it's sort of, for me, it's almost sort of fateful that I would end up in Manchester. Um, I was, I was born in Kenya. Um, my parents are from Sudan and my dad was born, I think only two, three years after the independence of Sudan. Um, my grandfather fought, in the Second World War under Britain, my great grandfather fought in the First World War under Britain, um, and it's it's sort of, and actually um, I can't remember the name exactly, uh, but one of the Manchester battalions fought alongside my granddad, so wow. it's sort of this, wow. yeah. So so it's sort of this whole thing where it's okay. Um, my history is rooted somewhat to this place and again to the term to the name of responsibility um it's sort of I've sort of found myself in a place where I feel like I'm carrying I'm carrying on a, a certain history and I'm bestowed with this great responsibility to hold my head to hold um to hold that high and sort of make people aware that underneath all this dark history it is still a string of humanity that holds together and yeah yeah and does this travel if you like for both of you into the purposes of your work at young identity because of course um your poets with young identity but you also have roles yeah. don't you as producers and facilitators so in terms of everything you were just saying, those values, if you like, does that travel into your own work with with other young poets uh, or p- people that you're involved with in terms of teaching and mentoring? I would definitely say in the mentoring element, I think it shows up everywhere. I think when they ask you your opinions or your ideas or for your edits, all of that is coming from a set of your own experiences, a set of your own wealth of knowledge. And as an extension, what you're passing on to them is how you learnt best or what you found your best piece of advice that was given to you when you were younger. And again, harping back to this responsibility element, I do feel like having the role of a mentor, especially in something as creative as poetry, which involves self and is so close to young writers. I think it's something that I'm really proud of and it's something that I make sure to input 
my identities and and experiences into that when um, approaching them because I think as a writer the more taps of knowledge that you have the better it is for you and that's not necessarily to means to be an echo chamber I mean that the more people that you can tap into in general whether it's ideas whether it's um kind of the starting point of conversation I think it's so important and if I can be an element of that then I'm more than happy to be and I think that like again my experiences my identities are not necessarily just um racial identities whether that transcends to you know where I stand economically whether it's marginalized whether it's queering like any identities that they may relate to it's important that they see a mentor that comes to them on a human level and and know that and knows that they're getting the best of themselves or the best of that person when they're asking a question and when they're trying to improve their craft and is that how it feels to you too Saf is is it almost like is it almost like a family yeah um young identity is definitely like a family I feel like um we're always we're always exchanging knowledge and ideas and it's uh, for me at least when it comes to the mentoring I feel like my job is to teach them that there is a positive into in this world of writing and in the wider world and to show them that um despite all the things you might see around you and despite all these difficulties you might see there is an outlet here that is just Mm. that is beyond making a career and is beyond just a piece of flashy entertainment yeah 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 yeah. well as I have to get closer and closer to um drawing this to a close unfortunately because I have I have stolen you a bit longer than the the hour uh I'll admit it now um The series poses the question, can art save us? It's a deliberately bold question to which there's, you know, not a simple yes or no answer. But in terms of everything you were saying, and particularly in terms of the work you do at Young Identity, um, maybe there is a role in terms of saving or in terms of encouraging and, and influencing. But what what are your thoughts on that idea, that question, can art save us? I think it's a very romantic idea and I am a romantic, so I love it. Um, and I think the, the micro version of that is art in itself is, is humanity. And I think it has an ability to connect humanity and it has done for thousands of years. Um, this idea and what we're doing and the idea of poetry and art is a, is as old as people. And I think my role in that is that even if I can change one person's mind, even I, if I can take one cynic to an optimist, then my my job is done. And I say that as a stubborn cynic, um, that, that that's that's the point of it. And I think the art gives us an ability to have empathy for one another I think it's the most powerful thing for combating othering which is the most divisive thing and has so many ramifications outside of itself and 
I think that art is the biggest glue for it and in every little way it should be cherished and not only cherished but nurtured um because there's never enough art in my humble opinion yeah i agree i mean i think existence in itself is a work of art if you look at humanity and nature as a whole i don't think there's any better way of describing it than a work of art and if we are works of art, then it's only poetic justice that it's art that saves us, you know? And, um, yeah, I, th- I think if um, if we lose hope in art, there is no hope what's for left? anything else. <laughs> what, what, what's left? <laughs> <laughs> right? like, yeah, if we don't have hope in art, what, what's there to hope for? Think, you know? <laughs> So, for, so as we sign off then, from the point of view of the listeners, if there's any final words of wisdom or inspiration or someone who's curious about exploring poetry for themselves, for example, maybe there's lines of a poem that you would share as influence or just your own your own thoughts. I think mine's only short, so the only thing I will say is if you're someone who's considering is one that there is space for you and to be good and do good it's important and the things that you have to say are important and I think I can't say that there's a space for you without then clarifying that it is important to do your best and be your best and make sure that what you are using your platform for is the utmost good um, and even if it's something you can't do yourself, that you are always endeavouring others to do it. Um, I think, yeah, the the best way for me to... I'll use a line of poetry. Um, Darkness is the constant and we can make it through the light. I think that's the best way I can summarise. Yeah. yeah. I know that's that's beautiful and um you're both kind of you know living testimony to, testimonies to what you're saying as well so a very big thank you of course for making your time to join me in the nicest possible way I hope your hands continue to shake when you hold your books and microphones <laughs> <laughs> before you go on stage I hope your left leg shakes furiously Sam never, never lets us down because there's obviously some kind of spiritual energy in that somewhere yes. so thank you very much for joining me today thank you thank you for having thank you so us much for having yeah. actually one more thing when we're talking about the album, I forgot to mention Fees, who produced the whole album. Yeah. Every single track on it, he produced, mixed and mastered the whole thing. Well, um, just okay. And learned in the process. So, yeah. Yeah. And I'll uh, highlight just... now to the listeners that I will include links to the work that Billy and Saf uh, do um, on their episode page. So, Go and exercise your curiosity. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you.